If you've been around Rock Hills for a while, you know that I had a very difficult relationship with my dad. Uh, if you haven't been, I'll tell you a little bit about him. He fought in World War II. He, he was wounded in battle. He fought bravely, had several medals for bravery. But by the time he made it back from the Pacific to the United States and had a family and I came along, he'd become an alcoholic with a pretty bad temper. Now, I never saw him take his temper out on my mom or my two older sisters, but I guess since I was the only male, he felt free to vent that on me. And uh, just one example, I can remember I was 10 or 11 years old. I came home one evening from my friend's house, and my dad was, had been drinking as usual, and I walk in and he just looks at me and says, get a haircut. And I'd just gotten a haircut like two days before. And, and so I said, well, why, Dad? And as those words were leaving my mouth, I knew it was a big mistake. And he just reared back and clobbered me and knocked me on the ground. He said, because I said so. You know, honestly, I'm not telling that story because I want to slander my father. I'm not saying that to put him down. But I want you to know that I'm in my 60s now, and there are still times when I think about my dad and my stomach ties up in knots. That is the kind of power dads have in the lives of their family and their kids. And I know through 25 years of teaching the Bible that when I teach on this issue, when I teach on fatherhood, I get a deeper emotional response than any other subject I ever teach on. Now, in a room this size, I know there's a lot of good positive emotions going on in some of you, and I praise God for that. Some of you had loving, wonderful fathers. But many had fathers like mine that were angry and sometimes violent, and you didn't feel safe. And others, their father just wasn't there. Either he was physically absent, they, they barely knew him, or even if he was in the home, he was emotionally absent. And you just have this kind of empty ache in your heart. That's, that's not the way God meant it to be, folks. And so on this Father's Day... I decided I was going to teach from the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 15, one of the most famous chapters in the Bible, and it's called the parable of the prodigal son. But really, the heart of this parable, in my opinion, is that it demonstrates the unconditional and overwhelming love of the Father. And I want everyone in here to try to grasp and experience that. Because I, you know, when I teach the Bible, if you come to, to Rock Hills, you're going to hear the Bible taught. But I want you to understand this. Please listen. My goal is not to teach you more about the Bible. My goal is to use the Bible to teach you more about the character of God. I hope you see that distinction. And so I have two goals today. First goal is that in my talking and and teaching on this parable, you would grasp and be moved by the overwhelming unconditional love of God. And by being moved by the the love of God, you would be motivated to be the best mothers and fathers you can possibly be. So those are my goals today. So let's get started. Let me start with a word of prayer. Father, I have a simple prayer. Please, Father, would you use my words in this wonderful parable to shine the light 
of your love into the hearts and souls of my friends here at Rock Hills. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, even though we're going to get to the Luke chapter 15, I want to make a quick stop in Luke chapter 11. Because there's a pretty startling uh, moment that happens in that gospel. So Jesus is walking along with his, his apostles. And one of them says, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Now, I don't know about you, but they've been with Jesus for a long time. They've been seeing miracles. I don't think I'd be asking them to teach me to pray. I think I'd say, hey, you know, Lord, that thing where you walked on the water, would you teach me to do that? Or maybe even better, you know that trick where you took water and turned it into like the best wine in the world? Please teach me how to do that. That's what I'd be asking. And so why did they ask him that? Well, he immediately went into this famous prayer. He says, you want to know how to pray? Here's how you pray. Our Father who is in heaven. And I think what they had been seeing is something different about Jesus and his prayers. You see, throughout the Old Testament, throughout most of Jewish history, God had revealed himself as a father at times, but he also revealed himself in these very powerful ways, and that seemed to have made a much bigger impression. You know, when, like when he split the Red Sea, or, or maybe when he rained fire and brimstone down on Sodom and Gomorrah, the people seemed to remember that more. And so they, they probably had this impression that God was distant and, and awesome and, and perhaps scary. And they saw God reveal himself through Jesus and they began to reveal this image of God as a father. And so with that background, I think a few chapters later, excuse me, <laughs> a few chapters later, I think Jesus wanted to continue unveiling this image, this paradigm shift for these people so they began to understand God isn't this distant, scary being. We can approach God in a relational, even fatherly way. And so he taught the parable of the prodigal son to teach them about the father. Now here's something interesting about the, this parable. We probably all know it's, it's, most Je- it's most Jesus' most famous parable. But what I don't think you know is that Cultural analysts have studied this. Anthropologists have studied this. And they have concluded, they've come to the conclusion that this is the most, the most famous story in all of human history. There's no story that's more widespread and well-known than this story. Different cultures know this story. Different religions know this story. If you go anywhere in America, even people who don't go to church, who have no connection to religion, know the story of the prodigal son. It seems to resonate inside people. It seems to speak to them at a very deep level. And so with that, that background, I want to read it to you. And, and I intentionally chose not to have the scripture on the screen because this was an oral culture when Jesus spoke the parable of the prodigal son. They weren't able to follow along. So I want you to experience it just as the people would have experienced it 2,000 years ago. And it goes like this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were gathered around to hear him. And Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out 
to a citizen of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's men have food to spare? And here I'm starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now, there's another portion of the parable dealing with the older son. We just don't have time to get to that. But I wanted to focus on this. And the first thing I want to point out to you, maybe a little scary if you have young kids, and maybe if you have a prodigal, it'll be somewhat encouraging. And that Jesus has painted a picture of a really good dad. This guy is prosperous. He's got servants. He's got cattle. He's got sheep. He seems to be well-liked in his, in his community. This was a fine, upstanding dad. Dad, Jesus went out of his way to make sure we understood there was no problems with this dad. And yet what happened? The son rebelled. And folks, there's just a truth woven into the fabric of this life. We can do everything we can as a parent, but at some point, our youngsters are going to get old enough to make their own decisions. And at that point... If they are responsible for their life, not you. And sometimes that can be hard. But as a word of encouragement, if you do have a prodigal, someone once said, you know, Adam and Eve had a pretty good dad, and see how they turned out. (laughs) And and, and so we have to to walk that line. We have to be responsible as we can, but still not take full responsibility for the outcome. And and so I just have two quick tips, two practical points I want to say to dads and, and, and moms too. The first is have a plan for your parenting. Someone smarter than me pointed out, and it's a cliche, but failing to plan is planning to fail. Any good project, any important project, You make plans, whether it's building a house or or even a workout program, you make a plan. So what should you have in your plan as you plan for your kids? Why not make a decision and make a plan about chores and how that's going to fit in? And maybe about social media and how much time they get to spend on social media and the Internet. And maybe about exercise and, and nutrition and working out. And how about the spiritual life? Are you going to have family devotionals? Are you going to come to church every Sunday? And the second thing of that second part of that first point is include yourself in that plan. Because what kind of impact is it going to have if you say to your kids, don't be on social media so much, don't be on the internet so much, and you're constantly on your phone on the internet and social media? Someone smarter than me once pointed out, you know, kids are really lousy at listening to what their parents say, but they never fail to imitate what they do. So have a plan and make sure you include yourself in that plan. 
And the second, folks, is work on your marriages. Work on your marriages. You see, the best thing you can do as a father or a mother is to have a great marriage. There's, there's some serious dysfunction, some serious problems kids run into that we're all concerned about, and rightfully so. And every one of those problems gets worse if there's a divorce or if one of the parents is out of the home. Whether that's drug and alcohol use goes up significantly. Dropout rates from school go up significantly. Depression goes up significantly. Prison and criminal activity goes up significantly. All those markers go up quite a bit if there's a broken home or one of the parents is absent. Now, just a word of encouragement to you single parents. I'm convinced from God's character in reading the scripture that where the perfect is absent, God's grace will fill in the gaps. So if you are a single parent, don't despair. You can still bring up a great kid, but make sure you bathe that in prayer. Try to be part of a faith community where they can get good role models of good, godly men and women. And that will increase your chances of having great kids. So that's the first point, is we are responsible to have great kids. Now, this parable really starts when the son goes to the dad and said, Dad, give me my inheritance. And I think in the 20th century, we don't, 21st century, sorry, I'm behind the times. We don't, we don't grasp the significance of that. You see, this is the Middle East. This is what they call an honor culture. Your honor, your dignity was the most important thing. And what this son just did was brought disgrace and dishonor on his family. Because you know what he really said? He went to his dad, and really what he was saying is, Dad, I've been waiting for you to kick the bucket. I I really would rather have you dead because I want my stuff. I don't want a relationship with you. I want to go off on my own. This would have been unthinkable to the people listening to Jesus. They were from this Mideast honor culture. They would have known exactly how the father was going to respond. The father was going to disown the son and send him on his way. And this is really the first inkling that the father, the the God figure in this parable, is not exactly what they were thinking. Because the father says, okay, son. And he gives him his inheritance. Now, some some guys, when they get a chunk of money, they do great things with it. Apparently, Bill Gates' dad gave him a a chunk of money, and he went off and made a corporation worth hundreds of billions of dollars. Well, the prodigal son wasn't exactly Bill Gates. Because what happened was, not only didn't he invest it wisely... He didn't even go to work. He just started spending it recklessly. He was going to bars. He was buying his friends drinks. It says he he blew the money in wild living. He wasn't Bill Gates. He was more like, I don't know, Johnny Manziel or or Charlie Sheen on a limited budget, okay? And that's hard for me to say. My daughter's an Aggie, so. Um, (laughs) But it's the truth. I mean, this guy was out of it. And then he goes broke. And he does something, again, that would be unthinkable for a good Jewish boy. Most of us know that an observant Jew won't eat pork. But back in this time, they weren't even allowed to touch pigs. They weren't even allowed to be around them. And so the next thing Jesus has in this parable is the prodigal son goes to work for a pig farmer. Jesus was trying to come up with the most humiliating, the most disgraceful scenario he could possibly come up with. And again... The people listening to this parable would have said, oh, okay, now we get it. 
He's, he's painting a picture of something that not ne- can never be forgiven. That's what Jesus is doing. And at that moment, when he's hit rock bottom, when he's on his last straw, the turn in the story comes. The prodigal, it says, comes to his senses. And he turns back to God. And, and folks, this is really a picture of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Because the gospel says this. The gospel says you can never be good enough to earn the favor of God and be reconciled to him that way. And you can never be bad enough with your conduct to forfeit the payment that Jesus made on the cross if you're willing to accept it. And here in Father's Day, if you haven't ever put your faith in Jesus... Why not get reconciled to your true father, the overwhelming loving father that's pictured in this parable? Just make the decision to put your trust in Jesus and accept his payment for your rebellion and your sin. And if you've never done that and you want to know a little bit more about it, you feel free to talk to me after or email me at Al at Rock Hills. I'd be happy to talk more about that. And so now... The son has, has made the turn. He's heading back home. What's going on with the father at this point? Well, I think we know. If you have a kid, I think, I think you know what the father is doing at this point. He's trying to find out whatever he can about what's going on. He's probably asking around, and I'm sure he's hearing reports. It's like, sorry, it's just not good. He's, he's out drinking, doing a lot of drugs. And I'm sure the father's dying inside. And he gets a report, you know, he, he's blown all his money. He's on the streets. And the father's just dying inside more. And he keeps looking down the road and looking down the road. And, and I think one day he's looking down the road. And far off in the distance, he, he sees somebody. He says, no, nah, that's not my son. He, he's too skinny and his hair's all matted and he's, he's filthy. Then I think he says, no, I, I'd know that walk anywhere. That's my son. My son is coming home. And the father takes off running. And again, we can't feel the impact of what Jesus is saying there. Because in this honor culture, it would have been unthinkable for a father to run, for the head of a clan, for the patriarch of the family. It was too undignified. They were supposed to be in control. Nothing was supposed to fluster them. They were supposed to be strong and in charge. But there was another practical reason for it. This was a desert climate, right? And so they wear these big robes, and to allow circulation, often they had no undergarments. And to run in a way that you wouldn't trip, you'd have to grab your cloak and pull it up so you wouldn't fall. And there was a risk of embarrassment there, as you might imagine. And so a father would never run. And and so again, I think the crowd is beginning to get an inkling that the love of this father is very different from what they imagined God to be. And so the father gets there and starts smothering his son with kisses. And hugging him. And you'd think he'd say, hey, you know, you've been around pigs. Go home, wash up. We'll talk about the conditions. But the father doesn't say that. And father, just another point for us. We need to have this balance, okay? There's a lot of research out there that says kids thrive with the right balance of love and affection and supportive care and high expectations and demands. 
And I think we intuitively understand that. I want to recommend a book called Grit. It's the latest book I've been reading, and it talks about how to build the right stuff into your kids. And it talks about getting this balance between love and support and high expectations and demands. And and like I said, I think we intuitively know it, but I think there's a video that really captures this. There's a daytime TV show called Jenny Jones. I, I promise I don't watch much daytime TV, but I ran across this video somewhere. And for some reason, it grabbed me as something that really captures this tension between love and support and demandingness. And and this is apparently a continual segment on Jenny Jones. And what they do is single moms can bring in troubled little boys. And they bring them in before the show, like hours before the show, and they put them backstage with a drill sergeant. And this drill sergeant just rakes them over the coals, tries to scare the tar out of them, and basically, because it's true, tells the boy, you know, if you don't shape up, your mother can assign her custody rights to me for quite a long time, and I'm going to be your dad. And most of them go, oh, I don't want that. But let's see what happens on this particular day. You love that woman right there? You love her, right? Yes, sir? Now, you're not an adult till you're 18. Do you want me to be your daddy for the next eight years, son? Huh? Yes, sir. You do? <laughs> Why do you want me to be your daddy? I have no daddy. You have no daddy? Well, let me tell you something. Come here. Give me a hug. That's the ache of the heart for someone who doesn't have a dad in the home or a mom. But I think that drill instructor shows such wisdom in the way he was tough and demanding but showed affection. And so this is really my favorite moment in The Prodigal Son when when the father goes running out and he's smothering his son beyond all expectations with with hugs and kisses. The, The son's been rehearsing this speech saying, you know, let me just be a servant. And the father says, no, we're going to celebrate. You once were dead and now you're alive. And it communicates this overwhelming, unconditional love of the father. And I don't know about you, but I have a little trouble grasping that. You see, I didn't feel like I quite measured up. And I, I felt like when I decided to to follow Jesus and give my life uh, to God and, and follow him. I knew God accepted me, but I didn't really picture him running out to me. I, I just thought, I was like, oh, okay, Al, you know, no, no big deal here. But that's a lie, folks. That's a lie. What this parable says is that every single person who makes the decision that they want their relationship with God put back together, God will come run to get them. That's the gospel. And that story has lived for 2,000 years because we understand there's something that seems too good to be true about it. And because of that, we just need to be reminded over and over that the parable of the prodigal son still exists today. And one example I'd like to tell you about that is a guy named Brian Welch. Brian grew up in the 70s and 80s, grew up in a difficult home with a very abusive dad that used to beat him. And somewhere in high school, he got into recreational drug use. It wasn't too bad. It was something he could control. But then he got into music, got really good at music. And in the 90s, he had one of the most successful metal bands in history with a band called Korn. 
He was the lead singer and lead, vocalist, or lead guitarist and vocalist for Korn. And as soon as that happened, he had basically unlimited access to drugs. He had the, the rock star party lifestyle, all the money in the world, and he and his girlfriend started to do a lot of drugs. They had a child together. They had a little girl. And their drug use began to escalate, and finally they got into methamphetamine, into crystal meth. She got so hooked on meth that she left him to do meth full time. So there was Brian Welch, strung out on meth, trying to be part of this successful metal band and trying to raise a little daughter. He reached a point of despair. Many times he considered suicide. Let's hear the rest of the story in his own words. Father? My uh, real estate broker, Eric, he, uh, he said, Brian, I don't mean to be weird with you. I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but I, f- I felt the scripture, like, jump out at me. I've never done this before, you know, so I don't really know how to do this, but I felt like this would mean something to you. It's Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I remember all tweaked out. I looked up in the dictionary, wary. I looked up burdened, and I just I pulled the scripture apart. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm wary and burdened, and I need rest for my soul. And uh, I didn't know if it was real, but, you know, they invited me to church a couple, couple weeks later, and I had received Christ at the church. I went home, neglected my daughter, got it all smooth and powdery. Jesus, you got to take these drugs from me. Search me right now. Search my heart. Father, I felt so much fatherly love from from heaven, and it was like, I don't condemn you. I love you. I love you. It was just love, love, and instantly, that love from God came into me. It was so powerful that the next day I threw away all my drugs, and uh, I quit corn. I was like, I'm quitting corn, and I'm going to raise my kid, because my kid... Like, I got the love from God coming to me, and then it came out of me to my kid. It changed me. My heart was changed like that. And I was like, Janaya, Daddy's going to be home with you all the time. I'm quitting my career. And her face lit up, and she's like, for me? You know, she felt so special. And uh, God used her to save me, to save her life later on. In the moment of his deepest pain and hurt in a moment when he was most desperate he cried out to God and God did what he always does he responded and with Brian he responded with this overwhelming unconditional love of the father and that moved him so deeply he quit corn to become a great father himself. You know, my, my father died four years ago. I never, I never felt like he loved me. Every, all his actions seemed to communicate, you know, Al, you don't measure up. You're, you're not the son I was hoping you would be. But I think he loved me. But here's one thing 
I'm sure of. He did the best he could. I know my father gave me everything he had to give. But he couldn't give me what he didn't have. And so I grew up with this deep, deep ache in my heart. And just like Brian Welch, just like the prodigal son, for years I tried to medicate it with all the things the world said would make me happy, and it just didn't work. And I was in my mid-30s, and I was losing hope. It's like, is this all there is? There must be more. And in my moment of deepest need, I cried out to God. And beyond all hope, beyond my wildest dreams, beyond all expectation, God responded. And over time, he has revealed this overwhelming love to me. Sometimes I I feel God's love, the deep, rich, satisfying love, and it, it almost takes my breath away. Sometimes I feel it so deeply, I almost feel at a loss for words. And if you know me, that's a lot, you know, (laughs) it takes a lot. But mostly, the overwhelming love of my father has made me feel so safe and so secure and so moved that I can actually now say these words. My commitment... Until my last day on this earth, until I take my last breath on this earth, my commitment to my wife, Jan, is to never stop striving to be a better husband. Because I'm so moved by the love of God, my commitment to all of you is to never stop striving to be a better friend. And yes, on this Father's Day, I'll say to my daughter, Lorena, and my son, Michael, I will never stop striving to be a better dad. Let's pray. Father, because of your love, I'm beginning to grow into the father you want me to be. I'm grateful for this amazing parable and for the unconditional father love of God. Please, would you come here today And let people feel that truth and that reality in a way they've never experienced it before. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.